The content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see a16z.com slash disclosures. Um, so uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us for this infra chat where we focus on Encore infrastructure. I think this is our fourth. I think this is our fourth meeting, and I am very, very excited because I've spent a lot of the last couple of years um, really exploring the data analytics space. And in all of the meetings and all of the talks that I've either attended or been a part of, I've never been in such a strong group of, um, of creators of like actually the core technologies that underlie the analytics space. And so I'm gonna let um, them introduce themselves, but first just some very, very quick front matter. So the topic of this is, is um, analytics. Uh, we're gonna talk about um, the rough market, uh, the space where we think it's gonna evolve, um, how it's gonna evolve. Um, we will, you know, if you have questions, please raise your hand. We normally try and reserve the last, say, half of the, um, the the show for that. We may bring you up to chat with us. If you do, I want everybody to know that this is being recorded. So if you're coming up to ask questions, you're consenting to us using your words and images. Um, and outside of that, the first half, we're going to try and, you know, dig in pretty deep into some of these topics. And so... Listen, I could present um, or I could introduce uh, um, the the other members of the panel, but I think they're going to do a much better job. Um, so maybe we'll go ahead and start with you, Martine. Um, and I just think you've got such a fantastic name. I want to let you know that. Um, so, <laughs> so we'll start. We'll start with you, and then we'll go from there. All right. Uh, well, my name is Martin Traverso. I am the one of the creators of Presto. Uh, back back in 2012, when I when when I was at, at Facebook, I've been working on on well, I, I spent six and a half years working on Presto. Then I left uh, Facebook to focus on the on the project full time. Uh, I I did that for about a year, uh, ten months or so. Then uh, I ended up joining Starburst. Now I'm uh, CTO, uh, one of the CTOs at Starburst, and and continue to work on the project. Although uh, recently we renamed it to to Trino. If you you have seen that. Uh, yeah. I guess that's my, my summary. Awesome. Thank you, Martin. Uh, Max, do you want to go ahead and do the long form of your background? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so first I wanted to say I overlap with Martin at Facebook a little bit too. So we, we had the chance to work with the, the early Presto team. Uh, nice. I was there, so I was at Facebook um, at that time. Then uh, I've been at other places like Airbnb and Lyft. Uh, so at Airbnb, um, I, I created uh, something called Apache Superset. That's an open source business intelligence data visualization platform, as well as something called Apache Airflow. That's a batch workflow orchestrator. Uh, since then, so about two years ago, I started uh, a company called Preset, where we offer Apache Superset as a service. So I've been uh, all over the data stack, so I'm kind of a full stack uh, data infrastructure uh, engineer worked uh, kind of data engineering pioneer too. Um, so been all over the stack at all sorts of companies, and uh, and now I've had a chance to work with just like all across uh, the, the Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, and and now like kind of more the world with different data teams uh, across uh, across the stack. So it's been it's been super interesting. I come from a background, more traditional background too, of like data warehousing and uh, business intelligence too. So. 
seeing like multiple generation of uh, stack and pseudo stack evolve over time. Awesome. Thanks, John. Hey, I'm Gian Merlino. Um, I, uh, I guess I'm the one that didn't work at Facebook. Uh, I started out at Yahoo um, and was doing distributed systems and data center automation type stuff there. Uh, then I moved to a little startup called MetaMarkets where um, uh, I was part of the original team that, that open sourced what became eventually Apache Druid, uh, a, a sort of real-time analytical database uh, that, that plays in this space. Um, and then since then, uh, a few years back, I co-founded Imply, a company built around that whole concept, and um, and here we are. It's it's uh, it's been it's been a blast. Yeah, maybe actually, maybe Dion, like we'll just kind of start the discussion with you. So um, what we're going to explore in the beginning is, it, it, you know, it's very interesting, at least from the perspective of a uh, venture capitalist, like how many points of the design space there are for. <laughs> like databases it feels like there's a database for everything like every latency every scale you know throughput like whatever it is and so you know you've been working on druid um which is somewhere between you know i guess real-time stream processing and a data warehouse and so it'd be great if you kind of started like your view on the use case in the market and where things like olap um fit in yeah, yeah, you're right. And you're right that there is a massive design space. And it seems like every time the industry starts to feel like it's consolidating on, on a particular idea, then everything gets blown up again a couple of years later. Um, <laughs> and I think there's there's a reason for that. It's just so like like the space is just so rich, like the parameter space of, of how you can design a system like this is so high dimensional that um, you know, it's it's really it's really hard to believe that without uh, I don't know what level of capital it would take for a single a single project to to be the best at everything, but it's probably about a capital that's completely unrealistic. Um, and I think that's why we have so many. Uh, and and so you know, it's it's it helps to think about um, it helps to think about about where in the design space uh, different things are and and what you need if you're a user of these systems. And it I think. You know, the way I think about it is, is what are the axes of the design space? Um, you know, how do projects tend to differ from each other? And, and one way they differ from each other is, uh, do they focus more on their own data format or do they focus more on federation? Uh, do they focus more on real-time stuff or do they focus more on historical stuff? Um, do they focus more on high concurrency and super low latency or do they focus more on elasticity and low cost, uh, that, that kind of thing? Um, and it's to a degree, you know, you have a lot of systems that, that are jumping out and saying like, we can do everything, which, um, is true. I mean, a lot of, there's, there's, uh, a lot of systems can do everything. I mean, but I think that, that what we're seeing right now, <laughs> wait, what, what <laughs> did you just say a lot of systems can do everything? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, it, it's, it's a question of not, can you do everything, but can you do everything? Uh, can, well? can you do Can you do it? I see. Okay. Can you do it? Well, I think, I, I think a lot of, I mean, I think that, that <laughs> one of the lessons of the big data era was like, sure. Like MapReduce can do everything. You could fit everything into a MapReduce model, but right, right. Um, there's a reason that people don't use Hadoop for this kind of stuff anymore. It's because it, right. it can do everything, but it's not going to do anything very well. Yeah, I, I really thought we we're going to, like some convergence in, in the database space, right? I remember being at Strata like at five to 10 years ago, walking down the the boots, right? And there would be like, you know, dozens and dozens of uh, database companies. And I was like, certainly there's going to be like 
three to three, four, five, you know, that are going to emerge as a uh, conversion point, uh, uh, you know, clearly as the winners. And we haven't seen that. We've seen like new waves of innovative databases kind of uh, taking over different segments, right? We, we still see this today. I think it's true in the data infraspace as a whole. Uh, like we haven't seen too much convergence just yet. There's still like always new waves of new ideas, uh, new ways of doing things. It keeps it exciting. Well, and it really has never it's yeah. never stopped. I mean, it's been like this. It's been like this since the seventies. Yeah, not like yeah. this though. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Martin. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, as Jen was saying, um, like it's 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 almost impossible to have a system that can do everything and do it well. I mean, it's it's uh, too complex of a space. The requirements and the needs are too varied. I mean, you have systems, uh, uh, for example, if you're supporting uh, like online online systems, you have to have super low latency, and that sometimes is at odds with having systems that, that can process things at large scale and efficient, efficiently. So uh, I, I think that's 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 the, the effect that effect that you see is like specialization in different areas. Uh, what I've been seeing, uh, one of the things I've been seeing is is uh, especially like with the um, I mean with with Presto and the use cases that Presto and Trino support is uh, the ability to get all, the, all those systems to work together in some way. So, so you, you, don't, you don't have to uh, pick and choose. You can, you can kind of combine them in ways that allow you to, to get kind of the best of, of all the worlds. Awesome. Um, can, so can, wait, can, actually, can we do that? So listen, I know there's a lot of VCs in the audience, and so they're all going to take notes from like about what you're going to say. But everybody is curious, and I'm certainly curious, of like what the relative sizes are of like these points in the design space. Like relative to the use case, and I'll try to be more specific, which is, you know, uh, there is a belief that there's a certain set of queries that we need to do, like basically in near real time. And people use like things like, oh, like it's IoT and it's at the edge, and therefore we need to do it like before it hits a disk and yada yada yada, right? Like so clearly there is some market for that. I don't know how large it is. There's another market for like, listen, like, you know, you want to like kind of operationally respond to stuff, whether it's, you know, you're looking at logs, you're looking at click streams. And so that's pretty fast, but, you know, maybe you have a few seconds, you know, and then all the way down to batch. And each of these, you have companies that are emerging relative to the size of the markets. And so, you know, all three of you are actually in market. And so I'm wondering if you can give a sense to like the relative sizes of these use cases. Any thoughts? Well, it, that's kind of changing over time, right? Like, so I, I think, like, you know, we're talking about latency, about freshness, about like scan speed, uh, sometimes to the ability to, like, um, you know, update like the more OLTP uh, use cases too. And it's, I think it's, it's hard to size the, those. Well, parts. okay. Well, then, then, let me just be like maybe a little bit provocative. Like, okay, like how big. So there's a lot of streaming technologies out there. I don't know of a lot of success around them or a lot of at scale. So like is, and by streaming, I mean like actually like doing like the processing in the stream, you know, um, say, you know, sub second latency. Like, is this a large market? Is there a real use case that's driving this or is that still something in the future? Yeah, maybe I'll like one, one thing I like to say in that area is like, I think that freshness is overrated in the sense like, like querying data that uh, was generated like a second ago, there are some use cases for that. But when you start really drilling to these use cases, you're like what metrics and dimensions do you really need, you know, to have in a freshness of sub minute? Uh, if you really drill into those use cases, they're kind of few and far between. 
I think latency is really empowering and amazing. Like being able to do like the all app use cases of analytics at the speed of thought, where you can yeah. interact with the system. And be, yeah. uh, that that's super awesome. I think, and that's uh, something to to prioritize for. I think. Yeah, if you, if you if you think about it, uh, like building systems that are, uh, I mean, they are they're very fast in, in the sense of uh, freshness. So an event shows up and immediately you can you can access it and I say within a second or or, or even before that. Um, that the use case for that requires uh, a certain level of sophistication. You have to have systems that can leverage that. It's not going to be humans that that can benefit that. I mean, a, a person can distinguish from something happening. Uh, right now versus something happen, happened in a, a minute ago or even a few minutes ago. Um, on the other hand, the, the, the latency, as, as, as Max was saying, it's, it's very, very uh, empowering because like, the, fastest, the faster you can run queries, especially when you're doing exploratory analytics, the, the faster you can, you can experiment, you can uh, get insight from your data. So... I, and that, that's humans. That's human. Humans involved. You, you need a lot of sophistication in your organization to be able to get to that point. You just need people to understand, for example, a query language like SQL right. or, or 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 some scripting language they can they can uh, whip up in in a short period. Right. John, I actually think you... freshness is. I think freshness is a little bit underrated. Max said it's overrated. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I uh, I. I, I I mean, I respect you deeply, and I think I've, I feel like I know where you're coming from when you say that. But but where I'm coming from when I say it's it's underrated is um, I think that that you know a lot of people um, I think that 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 latency you know um, Max and, and Martina are saying latency is very empowering, and I 100% agree with that. I mean, latency is super empowering. It's sort of half of what we're trying to do in the in the Druid world. Um, we're, we're I would say maybe. A half to sixty percent of our our customers are not actually doing anything streaming or real time at all. They're just loading batch data. They're using it purely for the low latency queries. So that that's that is super valuable, um, and it's it's easy to kind of get that value if you're if you're a user because because um, you're sort of taking the classic workflows you have. You're sort of taking these classic business intelligence workflows and just speeding up the latency and making them more accessible, which is is great. It's it's sort of like take what I have and juice it up. Um, and but I think that the reason I say I think freshness is underrated is because taking advantage of freshness actually requires new workflows. So I mean, a lot of business intelligence workflows are sort of fundamentally about looking at the past and looking at trends and looking at history. And being able to do that faster is great. But to be able to get some value out of fresh data, you have to you have to do different sorts of things. You have to do more observability-looking things. Um, and I think what, what we what I what I do see is people that embrace that can do some really really powerful stuff. Um, some of it even does involve some of it involves systems, like Martin's saying, and some of it involves humans. Um, you were sort of saying like, well, a human's not going to tell the difference between a minute old data and a second old data, which I think is true. Um, but it's I guess what I've seen out there is that it's not usually that's not usually what what's happening. What's usually happening is that the the sort of classic batch pipelines people have are giving them data that's a day old or like six hours old and and giving moving that from six hours to even a minute um or uh can open up a lot of new ways of doing things um that people you know it's not just speeding up the old workflows it's introducing new workflows and so that's that's why i think it's underrated yeah when, when you start looking at like on like sub minute right like I, there, there are 
actively pending use cases, but they're mostly kind of bot or machine driven, right? Like you're assuming, I'm assuming there's not someone sitting in an office somewhere looking at a dashboard, like refreshing frenetically, you know, to try to see if something odd's going to happen. So then we start talking about anomaly detection. We start talking about, you yeah, know, yeah. I think in practice, it's, a lot of it is a lot of the workflows that that I've seen be really impactful and fresh data are observability type workflows. It's like troubleshooting, diagnostics. It's like once you have the anomaly detection, once you have the alerting, um, then you know what happens when the alert goes off. Uh, you know, someone's got to do something about it. Um, it's either going to be repaired automatically, which is great, but if you don't have an automated system that can do something about about the anomaly or do something about the alert some human has to investigate it. And for that, you need a system that lets them see what's happening uh, right now. And they don't, you know, they don't want to wait six hours to see what's going on. All right, cool. Listen, I'm going to jump in here. So I brought two uh, more speakers up, Rachel and Brian, both kind of outbound market facing. And so I would love them to weigh in on kind of from a market perspective, like what is driving the um uh, these different use cases. And so maybe Rachel, we'll start with you, if you mind just giving quick background, if you're on, and then kind of from like a customer user perspective, where are the relative market sizes that are driving these things? You're still looking for that market size answer, aren't you? You're going to get it from the other speakers. I may be an investor, yeah. Something like that, yeah. So, so hi, I'm Rachel. I run the community program um, at Imply, so I work... For with Gion, um, my job is to make the Apache Druid community bigger, better, better, faster, fresher. Um, um, I have 20 years of experience in analytics databases all the way back to the 90s with Redbrick, which some of these concepts we were talking about back then, it's just not 24 <laughs> hours later anymore. It's 24 seconds later. Um, so I think the market size, is, I mean, we're talking about technologies here that are so cutting edge and we live in these cutting edge worlds that we forget that there are broader markets out there that haven't even like put their toe into the world of Kafka or in terms into the toe of the world of like of the real time. So how big are these markets? I think as the as the larger majority gets into real time data or fast data or even big data in terms of um Freshness, I know we were talking about freshness earlier, but like in terms of uh, outside of just the Hadoop world, you're just going to see this in, this entire market explode. I see. So you're saying you're saying that like if you look at the current queries being done today, you know, some, some are fast, you know, some require. I mean, it's, it's very clear that we know the use cases like, you know, for example, logs and click streams. And like there's a number of them that we know that you require kind of like OLAPI type things. But a lot of the the new markets that are coming online are going to benefit a lot from kind of the the more streaming real time. I mean, by the way, I hate the term real time because it's like <laughs> it, it actually has like this tactical definition, which none of these systems actually do. But like really, really fast. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. exactly the kind of thing a network I would say. <laughs> so, I mean, or an operating system guy, right? Like RTOS is like have like these like strict guarantees, but. But anyway. I think as these companies go through digital transformation, they're they're all just sort of in the nation's part of it, you know, mostly because COVID has forced them to be. And eventually yeah. they're going to realize that analytics is going to have to catch up. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I think this yeah, is a yeah. big market yeah. on that side. Premise, you know, pe people have been talking about before an idea that's like, is it better to like fresh data if it was as easy to be real time or to be in a daily batch? Is it better to have it in real time? Of course it's better. 
Uh, but right now we're still in a place where it's still fairly prohibitive to write real-time pipelines. It's just a lot harder, uh, you know, to, to, to implement certain things in real time. So that's where people are starting to think like, oh, where do I need real time and which dimensions of metrics, you know, that I need some minutes of five minutes and uh, let's get just the rest in batch where it's kind of easy and uh, a little bit more predictable. I just, I just feel like we're so fuzzy when we talk about these things. I mean, here, here's the sense that I get just kind of roughly, which is like, there's this idea that there are certain use cases where you can't even aggregate the, the, the data for queries because that's too slow. Like you can't do joins over it. And so like, it's literally like we're going to do some processing on the stream as it comes in. And it's this kind of, I think this kind of very fuzzy definition of, or of like what real time is, which is, you know, we, we can't dump it anywhere. We can't do any processing. Like literally the stream has to do the processing. And then there's this whole world of like near real time, which is this OLAPI world, which, you know, you may want to do joins, you do want to do queries, but like, like it's a human being driving it to aid decisions. And so like, it literally can't take hours. It has to take seconds or whatever is the response time required. That's very clearly a real tier, right? Like lots of companies implement this. Like if you look at like, say like a Facebook or a Google, like they actually have this tier built out. And then there's a the data warehouse tier that we all know and love. Um, and actually, Brian, maybe if, you know, since I pulled you up here, if you don't mind, um, do you mind like giving a quick background for yourself? And then if you have any perspective uh, from a market view on these things, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Martin. Uh, yep. And uh, yeah, so I, I am uh, Brian Olson. I am uh, fel- relatively new, uh, not, I don't have the experience that uh, Rachel has with the whole 20 years in the analytics space or anything, but uh, you're just, you're just calling me old now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Politely calling you old. That's all. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, I mean, I, I've, uh, I've been uh, an engineer uh, four years leading up to uh, uh, joining uh, Starburst and uh, yeah, just, kind of jumped in uh to to kind of telling people about uh presto and now trino um and uh and so i guess you know martin uh, liked the way i blabbed about it a lot so uh brought me on as a developer advocate so uh, i lead the space there and um yeah i mean we, by the way by the way we, we need to dedupe martin's here we've got it we have we, we have name we have namespace collision martin, martin what's you're you're martin t right i'm martin c yeah yeah. All right. Yeah, no All right. So <laughs> going, 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 going forward to avoid namespace uh, collision, names collisions, we're going to, uh, to do Martin T. Going. Yes. Yeah, so, T. Okay, so yeah. if I forget, yeah. I'm, I may be talking. Yeah. So Martin T <laughs> <laughs> was the one Perfect. I was referring to. Good. Okay. Uh, um, anyways, so, uh, yeah, so, so, um, uh, where was I at? Uh, yeah, so I, I would say, you know, one of the biggest things that that I've seen across the space, like big or small, and, and this is from my narrow Trino view, right? Uh, seeing seeing things from uh, kind of this uh, uh, space that 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 we live in, where there's a there's a huge demand for for um, uh, being able to do these big data analytics quickly, but also having flexibility in terms of like. You know, obviously, one of the the well known use cases of, of Trino is, is federation, but being able to kind of of uh, bring in your own plugin and that pluggability, that has been kind of another uh, a big space outside of just we're, we're talking real time and we're talking uh, you know real time kind of versus uh, 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 just getting things. 
um, kind of in, in the days of the old where we were waiting days to hours. Um, but but I think another aspect is is really uh, customers being able to kind of come in and uh, uh, take the uh, uh, their use case, maybe something very esoteric like uh, some crazy uh, API in the background that that they really have some legacy uh, project dying off, and they just need to kind of have something that sits on top of that, and you can join whatever data comes from that and pull it into your system. So like. So I think there's this uh, aspect of customizability. So not only just making it uh, fast and being able to uh, to to pull pull it in, but also to basically customize it to uh, various niche use, uses. And I think like that's that's another element that I see constantly pop up. I've seen Trino being used in some really like just ways you wouldn't expect. So uh, so cool. I think like that's that's definitely one one element that. Uh, that that we we I see is as a very important aspect for Trina. Yeah, and this big mesh of like data infrastructure, right? That has all sorts of systems and databases. That's evolving fast. Where change management is hard, so you get stuck with your systems forever. The federator, like the things like Trino and Presto, that can federate queries across different databases. Things like Airflow that could kind of do you know kind of stitch and do a patchwork out of your data and bring it all in one place. Uh, are become really important. Hey, can I can I ask you like this is a newbie question? I just figure I have like you all up here and you all are experts, which is um, there's a lot of to do on the actual language that you use, you know, to query these databases, right? So like you know, there's the analytics world of SQL, um, and then you know some people love data frames and some people love Python and whatever. Like, does that actually is that more religion or is there actually a functional reason? to split up the world this way because yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that you know that we actually, um, at Andreessen Horowitz, we spent about six months talking to dozens of, um, you know, data infrastructure architects, like pretty hardcore data infrastructure architects. And it was very interesting that those that were much more focused on analytics and come from the traditional world, like they were like just hardcore all in on SQL. And then those that come from more like the, kind of the more like heavy computation, big data ML world, they were much more kind of R Python. And like, I know it's a cliche and people talk about it a lot, um, but it was, it was really remarkable, like how sticky, like these languages and technologies were to like the, like where the people came from. And I'm wondering, is that more than just like, you know, some high order, you know, some like more kind of a religion preference aesthetic, or is there like a functional argument to sticking to SQL or not? I actually hate SQL. Um, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's our language. It's the language that, that Druid speaks. It's the language that, that Presto and Trino speak. It's, you know, it's the standard for analytics, but, um, uh, you know, I think there's, there's kind of one good thing about it. Well, well, two good things about it. One, one good thing about it is, is, um, interoperability. I mean, there, everything does have a slightly different dialect, but, uh, they're like close enough that skills translate, which is good. <laughs> Um, and they're close enough that if you have something built to run on one SQL database, then porting it to another one is, you know, it's not uh, immediate, but it, it's also not like horrible in terms of effort. Um, and the, the other good thing it's got going for it is it's um, it's declarative, and it doesn't it doesn't really embed like it doesn't really require you to tell database how to do anything. It just tell, you you just tell it what you want done, and the database is free to optimize. And like giving the database the ability to optimize is is pretty powerful. Um, yeah. those things are good, but it's, it's just a, it's a pretty 
rough language for for doing a lot of stuff that people actually want to do these days. Like there's a lot of kinds of queries that you might want to do on data um, that take advantage of relationships like the ordering between um, the ordering between rows in the data set that are yeah. that are tough to take advantage of with SQL because it's sort of it's like very mathematical and thinks everything is unordered can, sets. Can I take can I take the just can I just very quickly just throw my, my little straw person up and, and Suresh, we'll get to you in a second. It's just, this is a topic I, I I really enjoy, which is there's this kind of alternate view, which is um, SQL does most things and there's stuff that it doesn't do. And like, well, okay, so a lot of the argumentation that I've heard, which is like, oh, wow, but like I'm this hardcore kind of statistician or, you know, computation person and I'm doing these really crazy models. And so I need like a more expressive language to do my really crazy models. Um, but then if you actually look at what they're doing, it turns out like linear regression is probably fine and very simple extensions to SQL is actually probably fine. And so like actually SQL with like, like basic regression is going to do like 95% of the use cases that you need. And it's a language that everybody knows and it goes to the analysts. And so I'm good argument that like, you don't need to do much more than that. Yeah. That's, that's sort of the interoperability and declarativeness and skill transfer argument. I mean, you're, I think you're sort of saying, you know, leverage existing skills. Um, uh, no, well, if, well, if it well, turns well, out what everyone wants to do is if everyone wants to do the same two or three kinds of operations on, on data, everybody wants to do linear regression, everybody wants to do, you know, X, Y, and Z, then if you add declarative operators for that to SQL, then, then you don't have to worry about it too much, which I think well, is I, true. Well, I think, well, yeah. I think there's another, I think there's another argument, which is, you know, like the benefits for the declarative language are pretty well known. And then you, then you make these, then you make, you know, a lot of the arguments for using a non-declarative language are like, I've got this hardcore computation and I've got like all of these operators, whatever, whatever. I'm just not sure how valid that is, given that like linear regression as a simple extension seems to be pretty good for most use cases. Well, so, yeah, I, I think what sorry, I think what uh, what uh, data frames and I mean environments like that, I know Spark and uh, we can do with uh, I mean Python and, and Scala and, and those systems. They, what they allow you to do is uh, sequence things in in ways you cannot do in in SQL. You can have complex uh, uh, sequences of operations and pipelines. They can express in, in in a program, and you can manipulate them. You can you, uh, you, you can uh, I don't know uh, formulate parts of, of them, move them around, and all that, and, and have kind of a, a coherent coherent view of the whole thing. That with SQL you cannot do. SQL is more. I mean, even though SQL is a it's a fairly sophisticated language, not every engine and database supports. I mean, what was defined by the standard, which would allow yeah, you to yeah, do some, yeah. some kinds of things like that. Uh, so, so that's kind of a limiting factor in, in SQL. So it, it, it ends up being kind of a more of more transactional thing where you create a query, you run it, and you get results. And then, well, you have to figure out what you do with those results. But you cannot easily pipe them into something else and then uh, do further processing and so on. Yeah, like another thing that's kind of bad is. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to second what John said. I, I hate SQL. I mean, I, I, I'm, the, I'm the person that. I, I wrote the, uh, the the parser analyzer and, and an optimizer for uh, for for Presto. I mean, I, I, <laughs> something I, I, I think uh, I love uh, a bunch of other projects pull uh, creep off of what what we did there. And I mean, as someone that has been dealing with SQL for eight years and and under trying to understand the specification and the semantics, uh, it's it's a horrible language. It's like because <laughs> edge cases everywhere. It's it's uh, yeah. yeah. Say not not only like it's it's awful in all sorts of ways, right? Like what's even worse than that is like templated SQL, like SQL with parameters and loops and configuration kind of mixed in. A lot of people are using uh, 
thing like Jinja or Python that generates SQL, and then that gets really, really awful. Um, you know, SQL has no constructs like classes and loops and conditions, right? So if you want to write a function that, I don't know, is a data frame or, or receives a data frame and mutates it and, yeah. and does things with it, uh, you know, receives parameters, we, you can kind of do that with SQL, but that just gets a, into, a, you, you get into like crafting complex strings and writing Python code that writes well, and that's, that's terrible. Yeah, and it's also it's also you can write a query that semantically works, but then it's like you know it's so convoluted that there's no way the optimizer is going to be able to do anything useful with it. It's going to run really slowly. Yeah, I remember trying at uh, you know Hive to do segmented sorted uh, joins, right? Like to, to try to force Hive to say like, oh, segment the data a certain way, sort it in a way so that you can do this, uh, these like sorted merge join that are really efficient. And you have to give like all sorts of hints, you know, and try to hack it into doing the thing where in a data frame context, uh, the API is just like very natural. It's very natural to say like, you know, segment and, and sort my data frame in a certain way and perform this join and this specific type of join that I want you to perform in a specific way, uh, which you can't do in a declarative language. You have to like give some hints or, or, or sure. kind of the submission. So it sounds like then you guys are dealing with SQL because it's a legacy of the databases previously and it's a language of analytics. So then what's the future? Like, you know, what is Facebook doing here? Like what's what what should we all be looking at as where this market's going? Well, the future hey, is hey guys, SQL I, probably, just, right? Just, I just wanted to jump in before. <laughs> hey, uh, Sir, I know. Yeah, I was, was going to get to Sir, <laughs> but yeah, 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 yeah. Rachel, great question. Let's get Sir. Uh, yeah, so, so, so uh, yeah. quickly introducing myself, you know, I've been in the big data space for a long time, you know, built Hadoop at Yahoo, founded Hortonworks, uh, now I've been at uh, Uber, uh, just, you know, quick right, comment stay, on, you know. You're, you're, stay, you're, staying, you're staying in the speakers. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, just, just, you know, talking about SQL, right, it's not about what we like. It is about which segment we are catering to, right? And so if you look at uh, the big data segment, you have people, you know, if you look at the big data journey, right, there are people who are ingesting the data, then there are data engineers transforming the data, making it available. And then there are a few other data scientists and data engineers that are, you know, giving shape to the data so that it can be consumed. And then finally, there are consumers that are consuming this right through dashboards, you know, um, you know SQL, and then, you know, maybe reports are generated and things like that. The question right. is, SQL is, uh, has been a dominant language for the the last mile people who are consuming the data, right? And right. it is well known. And they are not doing all complicated stuff that you guys are talking about. They're just, you know, fine aggregating the data, you know, doing some joins and, you know, ordering and, and, then, and then presenting it, right? Uh, for that, SQL works really well. And uh, that's the reason why if you look at it, even the streaming engines now support SQL as, you know, there's continuous SQL, uh, uh, continuous query language that has come that has just taken SQL and applying the streaming windows, right? Uh, yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. you know, so, so there is a contingent of, uh, you know, people who are using the data for whom SQL is invaluable, right? Uh, yeah. And if you look at it, um, let, if you take uh, Uber as an example, we had all kinds of query languages, right? Proprietary query languages on top of, you know, let's say time series database and things like that. And we started using Presto as an interface and started providing SQL uh, as a way to consume that data and then eliminated you know, all these proprietary query languages. 
Now, coming to uh, you know so, uh, Martin's question again, right? Which 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 which, those... which 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 my my question? Uh, the Sorry, question we, was we, we you got... were talking about Python, R, ah. uh, SQL, all of that, right? It, it again goes back to which segment of users are using the data, right? So if you look at the data scientists, what they end up doing is generally use notebooks, right? And then, you know, Python has all these libraries for, you know, munging the data and then, you know, providing you know, the shape. Right. You know, their SQL does not fly and, you know, they have their favorite tool, right? So right, in the they, end... But the actual right. question is, it's very clear that that's the way that the, the industry is bifurcated. That's super clear, right? Like we spend a ton of time talking to these folks, you know, different backgrounds have chosen different languages and different stacks. I mean, the, like the, the, I think the higher order question is, is, is there a reason other than, you know, people like their favorite language and there's an identity thing? Um, is, is the first question, like, is there a reason for this? And then the second question, is, and this is to Rachel's point, which I actually think we should all explore, is does this converge over time? Because right now it's actually very separate. Yeah, yeah. so, um, you know, I, I was uh, getting there. Right? If you look at notebook, you know, you munch the data, you can visualize it, you can, you know, run, you know, a small test and then see, you know, you, you know, the data is coming out the way you want it and then use it for machine learning purposes. Eventually, either notebooks get productionized or they get written in Spark and you know languages like that because it's more scalable, efficient, and things like that. So right. it's just their workflows, right? It, it, you know, if you use SQL, you know you have to visualize it and then find the patterns that you're looking for. Uh, notebooks make it a lot easier, and then note, you know, Python also That's has right. libraries that makes this job a lot, lot simpler, right? And so there is there there is that community that has chosen Python, right, uh, and yeah. notebooks. Yeah. So it depends on the workflow, what they're trying to do, and there may not be a single answer, in my opinion. Uh, you know, and trying to force a single answer, you know, is especially not <laughs> going to work in this big, you know, different, you know, kinds of people, right? Their skill sets, right? And yeah. if you look at data engineers, they are, you know, they know about. Uh, Scala and their goal is to run these pipelines efficiently, you know, reduce the compute costs, sure. Uh, sure. all of that. And they are they, they know how to do you know Scala programming and they like unit testing, right? Like uh, developers, uh, SQL is very hard to unit test. So a lot of people mm -hmm. you know end up writing the Scala programs, right? Using Spark data frames and it is for efficiency purposes. So mm -hmm. it depends on what users are trying to do what skill set yeah. they bring and what is yeah. their workflow. Uh, and, you know, in my opinion, I think we should start with, you know, let's use the data, right, really effectively. And then yeah. look for, you know, how can we converge all of these things? Because if you try to do everything in a single tool, that tool will be super complicated for a simple user. Maybe it is great for a, you know, user that is looking for, you know, has the understanding know-how. Um, so I, I think that's the danger, right, trying to find one solution where you you know, put all things in. Is that Martin, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Martin. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I think uh, point is, is, is really important. I, I think it has to do with, I mean, a, a big factor is the, it has to do with skill set. It's like where, like if you, I mean, I, this is, I guess my, my experience, but maybe others have, have observed the same thing. Uh, data engineers and data analysts and people, the people are doing, dealing with Python and Scala, they, they tend to have an engineering background. Uh, they come from, I mean, they, they were developers or they, they, they kind of got through the ranks in, in, in like, uh, as developers, as engineers. Whereas uh, people coming from the traditional data warehousing, they are 
they tend to be more kind of uh, uh, more detached from the from engineering and more they are more in the in the, in the kind of the end the world of end users and 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 and, and analysts like they just know right. like a, a small slice of the of the SQL language that they need to use for for whatever they're trying to do they they don't they don't really understand programming they don't understand the, all those concepts so and that that kind of leads people in different paths. Got it. I think like SQL is there to stay, right? Sorry, if it's easy to, <laughs> it, you know, it, it will be there, oh. you know, after we're long dead, probably. Oops, I don't know. And then S uh, and SQL is not, yeah, SQL is not going anywhere. I mean, it's uh, there are too many systems that support it, and right. and right. It's, but can uh, you, can, it's like, can you can you but can you pencil out the path forward? Does that mean that it's kind of a data frame thing where SQL is embedded, or is it like SQL ends up gobbling everything else and and these just become minor extensions to SQL? I, mean, I think if you really look like at Spark see. data frames, right? Uh, if you look at Spark, well, yeah, yeah, but you you come from the big SQL, data right? world. No, but the problem is I could predict your answer because from where, <laughs> like you know, like you know, the, from the big data world, it's Spark data frames, and like I know that that's the answer. And then if you talk to like whatever Tristan at you know Fishtown Analytics, he's going to say it's SQL with minor extensions. Um, yeah, I, actually, the point I was making was some, slightly different. There is Spark SQL available for you if you want to consume, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, as SQL, right? And the yeah. data frame becomes an underlying implementation. So uh, in, in the end, yeah. right, you have, you have a powerful tool. If you know how to understand it, you can tap into it completely. Or yeah. there are certain interfaces that are provided to you for safely and easily to use it, say SQL. You can use that depending on you know, your skill set or maybe you know, how quickly you want to get stuff done. There was like an interesting pattern in the hive days at Facebook where uh, you could use these transform functions that would kind of you'd write you'd write a hive query so SQL, then you'd pass you know in some phase would pass the data to a Python transform or or whatever transform you wanted to, so kind of like a little program that would receive the data from the SQL, do whatever you needed to do, and then kind of spit it back into the SQL engine. So uh, we had like a, a certain number of databases were kind of able to do that, like the ones with like MapReduce. So it's like yeah. code SQL, and then you see the the other the opposite, which is like SQL within code. That's more like with the Spark implementation, where you use Spark SQL within a Spark data frame kind of pipeline. Uh, so so there's like interesting like interoperability between the two potentially, but that that tends to kind of look like yeah, urgent, the, you know there so. is. The, there's a uh, Max. There's a standard feature in, in or a feature in standard SQL to uh, that can do what what you described as uh, transforms. It's called polymorphic table functions, which uh, unfortunately no not many databases support. It's actually part of the of the 2016 SQL standard, which we hope to add uh, uh, into Trino at some point. Um, they, 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 I mean, definitely that allows you to do more arbitrary computations in SQL that you. You cannot express in the in the language if you have a way to call out to a different system. Uh, the, the The problem is that SQL is still too convoluted when when you you want to have uh, more uh, like like I was saying. For example, if you want to sequence your computations, if you if you need to do a sequence of trans, transformations or or conditional logic or things like that, those are very very hard to express in SQL. Sure. And and I don't sure. see the language. I mean, there are some things you. you language supports, but I don't see language uh, evolving to that or, or being able to do it in a reasonable way. So that, and, 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 and data frames and, and, and more imperative, imperative environments with, uh, with Scala, Python, they already have all that. So 
it's like they almost already have an advantage in 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 that in, in that aspect. So it's going to be yeah. hard for for SQL to take over that that aspect of the of the workflow. John, did you have something to add? I had another question I wanted to tee up. I want to make sure that you know. So, so, so Martin, one comment here is. Uh, yeah. What I also see is uh, just like data frame is, you know, more basic, but most powerful. And then SQL is the next level. What I see is Fair a enough. lot of people, you know, writing SQL, um, the basic SQL that they know, they export the data into spreadsheets and spreadsheets are the way we place where they're doing all the things that, you know, they can do. <laughs> so it's you know, next level of, you know, simplicity. And so, totally. uh, you know, uh, spreadsheet, you know, is is probably the easiest for people to, you know, consume the data through. Hundred percent, John. I mean, I think that from my perspective, as like a person that is super amped about making high performance databases, the thing that that I don't like about SQL is not that it's declarative. I actually, I mean, being declarative is better because as a database person, you want a declarative language because you want to be able to. You want to be able to run a query in the way that that is best based on the information that the database has, and it's you know most users are not going to be able to guide that better than the database itself can. Maybe only like the super most powerful power users. So you, you kind of want something declarative. Um, but the, to me, the thing that's that's annoying about SQL as a as a database person is there's there's um, a lot to do, sort of like what, what um, Martin T was saying uh, about sequencing. So like com computations that involve multiple stages are pretty tough to express in SQL in a way that, like what you want is you want the user to express a query in a way that is natural. You want to express it in a way that, that is sort of minimal. And for sequence computations, you can express them in SQL, but the way that you do it is kind of convoluted and it, it's hard for the database to understand what the user really meant. And it's hard. Yeah. It's hard for them to to optimize it well. Um, another thing that's that's really tough is anything that involves ordering of or anything that involves leveraging ordering of events. So like, you know, imagine sure. imagine I want to order a bunch of uh, rows in a table by timestamp, and then I want to run a state machine over the rows in that table. Like that's that's a pretty powerful kind of of query, and it's, it's really hard to do that in SQL. Um, sure. So I I kind of want to see, like I. I feel like that all the right experiments are happening right now. Like, you know, Spark SQL has its approach. Um, like there's, there's approaches that are kind of very SQL forward and embed stuff in SQL. There's approaches that are very imperative forward and embed SQL inside the imperative stuff. And um, to the degree that there's going to be an awesome future uh, ahead of us, uh, like, th like this experimentation has to continue and, and we have to figure out, you know, which, how these, how these things are going to integrate. Cause they, they have to somehow like SQL is not, is not good enough uh, to do everything that, that people need to do, yeah. um, but also also something that's extremely imperative is makes life really hard for for database developers. In order, to, it makes it hard to make things optimal. So we, we, one, one one thing to to consider there, uh, what people understand about SQL tends is typically a very very small portion of what the language does. I mean, uh, now that you mentioned you mentioned being able to order uh, rows according to some criteria and then run a state machines. There's actually a feature in SQL that allows you to do that. It's called window functions. And, and there's another feature that allows you to do even more complicated things like detecting patterns on, on your data. Uh, the feature is called match recognized. Just that most people don't, don't know that. I mean, they, they, don't know, they don't know the features because what they get exposed to is the features that are supported by, I know, databases like MySQL. And, 
uh, or, 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 or those features are not implemented in most, most databases yet, so they don't get, they, they don't get visibility. And, and that's why like, people think about SQL and it's like, oh, I, yeah, I can do joins, aggregations, and filter, and, and, and this and that, and, and, and then anything more complicated, I can't. But reality is that you can, but some of those features are more, uh, either they're not, not as available or they're not uh, as well known. I would argue do sessionization, you know, probably don't want to do that in SQL, right? If you want to have a complex state machine that looks over user sessions in time. You know, I tried to do that with window functions in the past and, and you know, failed horribly to where you, you need to kind of get data out of process and into something. Something. Well, I, at, at, at Facebook, we actually built a, we built a system using Presto that, uh, that was used for, for doing um, uh, attribution uh, for ads for uh, for one of the products that uh, Facebook had, and we we actually use uh, we use a window function for that. We need to look at all the all the events where someone saw uh, an ad, and then based on that data, try to attribute the uh, the, the click to the different sources. And it was all based on window function. It was actually pretty elegant in how it was done, but uh, it required like being able to write a, a window function. Can, can, can I can I just just quickly? Uh, we've got about ten minutes left, um, and I just want to move back to the actual underlying databases. Um, you know, I mean, it's interesting like, the discussion on the actual um, the actual interface language, like whether it's SQL or not. Like, I do I do feel like um, you know pe people be, tend to to follow what they know the most, um, but it, it, all, most of the systems that we look at look like this kind of chimera of multiple things and like, you know, whatever poison you like is the one that you end up using on that one. But what I am interested in is there's been such a proliferation over the last decade in the underlying systems that support these, in, in addition to the languages themselves. And in the past in infrastructure, as, a, as an industry, you'd have these proliferations and then aggregations, right? I mean, this happened with, you know, whatever, you name it, computers, networks, storage, you know, you have these Cambrian explosions and these aggregations. And so, I mean, the first question is, is do you think we're going to have an aggregation? Like, do you think that like the whatever 300 odd databases that we track um, are going to consolidate? And if so, do we have a sense of what that's going to look like? And... Uh, Anyways, um, actually, Martin T, I know that you probably have a, a perspective on on this. <laughs> That's pretty pointed. I actually um, think it's a little, well, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I mean, I think there will be some aggregation. I mean, there's, there's a huge overlap across across uh, I mean, systems. Of course, the, the, the kinds of systems that tackle, tackle completely different use cases, like if you look at Druid, for instance, it's, yeah, it's uh, low, low, latency ingestion, very low latency queries at very high volume. That's yeah. not something that a, a data warehouse type system like, like Trino is, is designed to do. I mean, maybe Trino will evolve into that over time, but uh, it's not it's not the main focus. There are so many other things that, that we need to be doing. Um, and, well, maybe, same well, maybe, even, maybe an even more specific question as, as you're answering this and thinking about it, like does this, does this consolidate into one, two, three, four, five? Like how, how many classes of systems does this consolidate into? You know, like, do, do does does data warehouse versus OLAP like maintain as a distinction? Is there like, the streaming is it a separate one? Like, do you have a sense of how many data source like like classes of data sources we'll end up with if things so, consolidate? 
Uh, well, so, I, I want to say, like, you know, one thing is for sure, we see a lot of Snowflake and BigQuery, so I'm more on the consumption layer. Uh, you know, so Apache said just being a, a business intelligence, like analytics platform, we see just a lot of people selecting uh, Snowflake and BigQuery these days. Uh, Redshift was kind of used for a while, too. There was a lot of people using Redshift and that kind of uh, drove it to its limit, right, of what it could do, too. But there is some, some consolidation. One distinction that's important in the database world is definitely like the OLTP versus analytics use case. Sure. I, hear, mm -hmm. I think we're composing the analytics, uh, you know, side of, of the fence, right? Yeah, yeah we can, so we can be very uh, yeah. specific. I mean, I think OLTP stays OLTP for sure. You know, data warehouse, uh, that seems to be consolidating. I agree um, very much. And then like, does OLAP stay separate? Yeah. Well, I guess the question. I guess I'm the OLAP guy, so I guess something about that. OLAP guy. So, yeah. I think they get more and more integrated. Um, I think they get more and more integrated. I, I think that, that um, I mean, actually, to me, uh, we haven't built it yet because we don't have all the connectors in place yet. But to me, the perfect system is something that's actually like kind of a combination of, of Presto or Trino and, and Druid. Um, because you kind of, there's kind of these two, in analytics, there's, there's kind of these two um, competing desires. Uh, and I say competing, I mean, they, they call for pretty radically different decisions on the architecture side. And one of the desires is I want to query a wide range of data sources. I want it to be super cheap. I want it, to, I'm going to have kind of infrequent access. I am not going to be querying the same things over and over again. I'm going to just kind of be scattershotting out and doing a lot of different things and, and something like, um, I mean, in my mind, something like Presto is really good for that. It can, it can kind of do a lot of different things on a lot of different data sources. It's super federated. It's really great at that. Um, and the, the other desire is is like I want to have really high concurrency, really low latency on a specific data set, and I want to like push that data set to the absolute max. Uh, right. And that's what Druid is for. Um, and but the kinds of queries you're doing are like the same kinds of queries. Like the language is the same. It's both SQL. It's the same kinds of stuff. It's you even might put superset on on both of them um, and like do the same kinds of visualizations. Uh, it's just sort of like how much concurrency do you have, how much latency do you want? You know, are you are you redlining one data set or are you blasting out to a thousand? Um, and you know, I think that the degree to which, like in my mind, the ideal system is something that that kind of gives you both of this, both of these things, that that kind of lets you sort of heat up data sets and, and put them in a system that looks like Druid or cool them down and put them in a system that looks like uh, cloud object storage fronted by Presto right. um, and, and kind of move between them smoothly uh, and have some intelligence on the on the federation side um, to, to be able to, to front all that stuff and have some intelligence on the data management side to be able to manage all that stuff. Yeah, I, I ideally. You know, when I think about this, you know, you, you use race car for racing, commute car for commuting, and then you use U-Haul for, you know, moving your house. They are all right. optimized for different things, and that's sufficiently large scale. You need to actually optimize it to get the best efficiency, compute, storage, whatever, right? Yeah. And so I just want to know how many cars, I just want to know how many types of cars are going to so, be. So, like, so, is, so then, is it three? Then, yeah, so then then let's look at this, right? Then yeah, how are you writing to the database, right? How much data are you going to write? How quickly you need to write, right? The number of rows that you're writing. How can you ingest that? And then the second parameter there is, who is using that data? Is it a machine that is, you know, trying to, you know, get it in near real time? 
how much data is it consuming when it is consuming and then is it a person a human being you know maybe sub second is fine or you know a couple of seconds is fine maybe it is another machine that is transforming a, you know a huge amount of data and you know minutes and hours are fine right so I'm trying optimize. to get you to commit, Suresh. I want you to commit. Is there like the, 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 the commit is, is I, I, I think we, <laughs> we are sort of going there, right? So if you look at it, uh, you know, Druid, right? You can actually write lots of data and then you can aggregate them, right? Really quickly and then serve it out. It is optimized for aggregation and then writing lots of rows of data. I, I right. believe, you know, that kind of a, a database will continue to exist, right? Uh, mainly for time series use cases. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, Presto so, would continue to exist, right? But pre see, Presto and systems like, let's say, high redshift data warehouses, uh, there is interactive and then there is, you know, large batches of data that is being uh, processed. I see right. a level of convergence there, right? Presto has moved to a lot of batch-related use cases. Uh, batch systems are moving to, you know, some interactive, you know, use cases. But I believe that is where the overlap will continue. And for most people, right, um, you, you know, I'm not talking about Uber scale or Facebook scale. Right. Um, some of the systems that are optimized for both batch and interactive might just be sufficient. But maybe hey, uh, at Facebook scale, you need specialized systems. I, I wanted to uh, just submit another idea there, which is like, you know, the, the, the vision of having a single system in which you can kind of declare your constraint and that that is like a smart engine to right. like like uh, really understand like, hey, this is a super hot table. A lot of people are querying it. Let's raise it to a hotter tier, right? Or this is a, this is a table that's going cold and maybe it's derived from a set of, of views, right? And then maybe we're just going to handle this as a view since it's not uh, I'm just queried. curious how many tiers there are. I mean, I, is, again, like I, I'm not an expert like you, but uh, in my experience in designing systems and distributed systems, you make very fundamental trade-offs, right? And like, it's it's hard to build one system that you tune over a decade that can serve, you know, all of them. So the market's going to dictate some parameters in the design space, which is going to come to some categories of databases. I'm wondering if there's a convergence. Is it going to be like... All right, I'll, I'll bite, Martin. Yeah. All three. right, good. I just there's want something to get to an answer. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I think there's, there's three. That's, um, I think, you know, one of the, in, in sort of the big world of, of de Great. the design space, like one of them yeah. is where Druid is, which is yeah. uh, I care deeply about performance. I want to push these data sets to the max. Um, and, you know, that's, that's going to lead to certain decisions. Another one is where stuff like Snowflake and BigQuery are, where like they have a proprietary data format. They're sort of very tightly integrated, um, and there's a little bit of a friction to getting data into them, but it's not so bad, and you know they they kind of do that thing. And then the other one is is where Presto and Trino are located, where it's it's a like pure federation, and you know I I care about. Uh, I, I want to sort of have this front all my data as opposed to be something I'm loading specific data sets into. And then Martin, I just want one clarification, then you go, just one clarification. So, and nothing faster than Druid, John? Nothing faster than OLAP? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I, I, at least is how you think about it. I mean, the kinds of decisions you're going to be making. I mean, you might have, I want you to commit. So in Druid, in Druid <laughs> we don't use. Well, you know, I understand. I understand that you can concoct things. I'm just wondering, like, what you would predict is going to evolve. 
I don't think a class, I don't think a class that that occupies an even faster point than Druid will would make sense because we're kind of already we're kind of already pretty shifted towards that part of the spectrum in terms of our decision making. Like someone might come along that does it better than us using some like newfangled technology that doesn't exist today. Um, or we might evolve to to use some newfangled technology that comes out in a few years, but but yeah. like Druid's the it's in the it's in the class of the fastest OLAP systems out there, the fast identical systems out there, and and it. it's it's like intentionally making decisions that keep us on that side of the spectrum. Yeah, it's a Sorry, memory, it, it can't be faster, right? or, or you know, can hardly be faster than it is. So, uh, so yeah. I, I, I bundle uh, uh, Presto with uh, BigQuery, Snowflake. They're all MPP databases. Yeah. And, you know, they will be used for interactive query. They will start moving towards batch and spilling to the disk and all of that. Uh, meanwhile, I believe, you know, MapReduce or, you know, take Spark, uh, those kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, engines that are going to munch lots and lots of data at very high scale, very few people will use that. They will continue to exist, but I think all MPP databases will... Uh, 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 it, it can be converted. Yeah, I, awesome. I, I agree that uh, I mean Presto and and I'm BigQuery and Snowflake they are only the same category. I mean the fact that Presto can ferrate uh, to other systems is is a bonus. But uh, there's nothing that prevents something like Presto Trino to have its own uh, proprietary data. So actually, it already supports something like that. Uh, the, the 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 software itself has a, a proprietary storage system that we built for Facebook a, a few years ago. Um, I, so I, I think there's another category that we haven't talked about, which is uh, uh, online queries. It's like systems where you have a stream of events and and you are doing queries, complex queries on the fly, on the data in a con, on a continuous basis. So it's right. like you're not submitting queries uh, as a transactional, right. uh, in a transactional way. It's like you, you, re, you register the query and then the query will do uh, I know aggregations over uh, real time periods of time, or joining streams right. in real time, and things like that, and then potentially feeding into downstream systems. I think things like I think Flink is falls in that in this category. Uh, KSQL from from Confluent uh, falls in this category too. Um, but so I'll I think that you, that's I'll tell you, yeah, for sure. So for sure, like this is something where people are building technologies. And by the way, we have to end this. So I'm going to say a capstone thing, and then we're going to have to end this because we're out of time. But but I just I, I think this is a great point, which is there's clearly technologies, there's clearly use in large companies on this. But having seen a lot of companies trying to go after this, it seems like they're kind of starving for oxygen right now. So it's not clear to me that that market has evolved yet, um, at least from a, a vendor standpoint. Um, so listen, listen. I, I want to thank everybody from you know both the listeners and the speakers for coming. Suresh, it was really fun to have you. Uh, so you're now going to be on the short list for data conversations going forward. Um, thank you. We're four minutes over. Suresh is a busy sharpening knives. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, thanks everybody. Thanks for the audience. In two weeks, we're going to have another infra chat. Um, I don't even know what we're talking about. I think it's category creation. Um, so with that, I'm going to end this. Thanks all. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Right, thanks, thanks so much. Thank you.